The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. This week we continue our journey through June which is National Annuity Awareness Month. With today, I believe we're kind of going to you know, step back, if you will, to some basics. Um, a lot of people have heard the word annuity but aren't quite sure what they are and what they aren't. And there's a lot of confusion out there, which is one of the things that causes people, I think, to d- dismiss annuities when otherwise they might be worth consideration. That being said, there's many people that Really, an annuity is likely not a tool that they want to use. So we, as we uh, say on the show a lot, we're annuity agnostic. There are certainly cases where we favor the use of annuities uh, for certain, uh, to meet certain goals for folks. And uh, there's certainly many, many cases where we don't feel that an annuity of any kind really uh, fits well within that circumstance. So... Uh, They're just another tool in the box of retirement planning tools that we tend to drag around. And uh, Jim's going to join me here whenever he's ready. He's in the uh, penthouse studio this afternoon. I think I got the AC turned on for him. It has warmed up here in Colorado. So uh, the, the penthouse studio being at the top of the building does get the most heat. Uh, It also is one of the older parts of the building. So, the insulation isn't the greatest, but we've got air conditioning, a very modern invention that should keep Jim nice and comfortable in there, um, even though there are no windows to look out. So There's nothing here, and he calls it the penthouse suite. I've said this time and time again. It's the attic. I know it's mm-hmm. the attic, folks, because mm-hmm. I bought this house. I'm the one who walked through the damn thing. It was a rundown attic, let me tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice now in the sense that it's, it's finished been clean. Nice it's with been an, finished. Uh-huh, in an ensuite. But with it's, a sh- it's yeah. still the attic, uh-huh. Uh-huh. although I did put a bathroom in, so I uh-huh. do get to look out and glance at the bathroom door. Uh, so this beautiful view of the bathroom door. And if I open the bathroom door, I get to see the toilet and the shower. So well, gorgeous view. Typically what's Who in needs there? to look out at Long's Peak? <laughs> Seriously, when you can look at a toilet and a shower. 
but it uh, it can be a little spotty up here in the summertime. It can get uh, pretty hot. So Chris did turn on the AC, not, mind you, to, to placate me. Uh, himself. He loves to be cool. So I'm sure he turned it on more for him than me. But thank you for turning it on. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Today, folks, what we hope to do uh, to continue with National Annuity Awareness Month, and I'm glad you worded it, Chris, we truly are annuity agnostic. Even though secure income plays a big role in what we call our secure retirement income process, the, the approach we take, the fund number, see-through portfolio, minimum dignity floor, all these concepts and terms that we have created and we use and we believe passionately in, all of those, yes, they, they are part of, of our approach. Annuities are only a part of our approach because they are a source of secure income. As we already explained uh, in earlier podcasts, as we did this whole annuity series in June. So that's why we talk about annuities a lot. They are a piece of secure income. And to us, even if you have more than enough money where you don't think running out of money is ever going to be an issue. And for most people listening to that, this podcast, you fall into that category. An annuity may still play a role because of simplification for the older you to just have a steady stream of income. So we talk a lot about annuities, but we are truly agnostic. If a client ever said to us, no, I'm going to cover this with distributions, we are perfectly fine. Nor do we ever, we, we, we have a process for one reason only. We want to keep people out of buying an annuity. We, don't, we didn't create our process in relying on secure income as a way of trying to sell annuities. I created it as a way of evaluating, do you need more secure income? Pension, Social Security, and income annuity. Do you need that income annuity? Today, what I want to do is just go back to the basics. Let's go back to, to eighth grade. I think eighth grade is the basic level. You often hear that uh, if you talk to someone at an eighth grade level, if you have a lot of knowledge in something and someone doesn't, you talk to them at an eighth grade level. You don't talk to them at a college graduate level and use industry verbiage to them. You try to bring it down to an eighth grade level so they understand. That's kind of what I hope to do today. Just talk about the basics of annuities. And we're going to go through that. But not only the basics of annuities, I also want to talk to you about how annuities are purchased and distributed. Because if you understand that, you'll understand more what you're paying. And that is key. For all you Vanguardian VG engineers who are unsure still, you you, you might understand the concepts. You might say, I get it. I know what Jim and Chris are saying. The older me might appreciate a steady stream of income. But you're also going to want to know what you're paying. And if you know how they're distributed, you'll kind of get an idea of what you might be paying. You'll certainly know the questions to ask someone who's looking to put you in the annuity. And they'll probably be shocked if you come up and ask some of the questions that I'm going to teach you guys to ask. So is this going to be over the next 
one or two uh, EDU shows? Probably. And it'll probably take us to the end of June where we'll start going into other topics again. But I hope you guys get something out of this. So what is an annuity? To me, simple way, eighth grade level, Chris, you have a noun and a verb. Why don't you explain to people what I mean? Well, a verb being an action is where you take one thing and turn it into something else. And the one thing that you have are financial resources, some type of an account, brokerage account, IRA, whatever it might be, dollars in an account that are available for withdrawal to you to utilize to meet goals. Uh, You can transform that into a lifelong income stream, and that is the act of annuitization, which is the verb. The noun is a product. The noun is a thing. The noun is the contract, if you will, that exists that explains exactly how things will work after you annuitize, after you perform the verb. Uh, you'll have uh, you'll you'll own something that is a contract with the offering entity, the insurance company of the annuity, and um, uh, that's what you've got. Something you you know technically I guess could touch if you printed it out, um, but that's the noun version of it. And when Chris and I say we believe in annuities, we're really talking about the verb, mm-hmm. the lifetime stream of guaranteed income. And here's another thing, folks, all you doubters, and there's still many of you, and you should doubt. You should not believe anything you're spoon-fed, certainly from a podcast. So for all you doubters out there, another thing to think of when it comes to annuities, even if you have enough money that you don't think you're going to run out of money and you don't feel you need to cover your minimum dignity floor of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses with lifetime guaranteed income that arrives at a certain date every single month nonstop. If you fall into that category where you don't want that or you don't feel you need that, there's another reason why that might help you, though. Some of you, not all of you, are going to freak out when you retire. I'd say 98% of you will freak (laughs) out when you retire. I personally will freak out when I retire. And I'm not kidding. And I don't think I'm going to do what we call the glider, excuse me, the helicopter retirement. I'm going to hit a certain point and tell Chris, that's it, Chris, I'm out of here. I don't see that happening. I see it more of a glider. I will gradually reduce my workload. That's how I see my personal retirement. But I'm still going to freak out over it. One of the reasons do-it-yourselfers, especially you Vanguard VG types, have a difficult time in retirement, yes, you run into the issues of you, you enjoyed your job or you still like the feeling of accomplishment and contribution and, and you're still contributing to society and you miss that. But there's another thing that's going to freak you out in retirement. You're going to hate watching your portfolio drop, whether it's dropping because of the market or dropping because you're spending the money. Mentally, emotionally, bringing yourself to spend money, I know this sounds crazy, can sometimes, for some people, especially the type of people that listen to this and other 
financial podcasts where you 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 vogglehead not vogglehead's you bobbleheads who who bogleheads huh bogleheads Bo- bogle not bobble bobble is the little dolls right. that's right yeah. thank you you bobblehead no you bogleheads goodness whatever you heads Y'all sit there and you talk about this. You, you chat on the forums about it. It's all about the accumulation of wealth. The whole financial planning industry is about the accumulation of wealth. The whole retirement industry is about limiting your spending of your accumulated wealth so you die with the most money, which makes me crazy when I see that. We are all about helping you spend your money. How can annuity help you with that? The bottomless cup of coffee. I haven't shared that with you, I don't think, in this whole month yet. The best way to look at an annuity is a bottomless cup of coffee. I have right here, you can hear that, an iced coffee from Starbucks. It's not bottomless. In fact, there ain't much coffee left in here. I have more ice in here than, than coffee. When it's gone, it's gone. And I'm sipping it real slow. Because I'm here in the recording studio and I know there's no more. And I've got to make this iced coffee last at least till I stop recording. And the way Chris rambles on and on and on and on, I don't know if I'm going to have enough coffee to keep my mouth moist while I'm waiting to get a word in edgewise between his conversations. But what if this iced coffee was bottomless? What if as soon as it emptied, there's someone walking through the door refilling it? Do you think, Chris, I'm going to pay as much attention to drinking my coffee if I knew it was going to automatically be refilled? No. I think you just enjoy it, knowing that if you happen to drink it a little too fast, someone's going to come along and fill it back up. Absolutely. When you go to a cafe... And you get dinner, excuse me, breakfast, and it has the bottomless cup of coffee, you're just going to keep drinking it. And if you didn't, especially the cafes with the bottomless cup of flavored coffees, and they have all those little coffee cafes or whatever they're called along the wall, and you press that little metal thing on the top, and magically coffee comes out nice and hot. Oh, I didn't like the hazelnut. I'm going to go try the French vanilla. It's bottomless. You feel comfortable consuming it. Because you know it's going to be replaced. But when you don't do that with your portfolio, if you knew when your portfolio is gone, it's gone, you are hesitant to spend from it. But if you knew your food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses are not covered by your assets, they're covered by a deep-pocketed third party, and it's going to magically be refilled next month. It may not be instant in my bottomless cup of coffee example, but next month, that pool is all of a sudden going to reappear. You're not going to mind spending money on food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care. It just happens. So our hope is if you had that knowledge, that mental knowledge then you could look at the rest of your investment portfolio that's earmarked for your fun number and feel a little more comfortable draining that fun number. I created the concept of the fun number and minimum dignity floor specifically to help 
people spend in retirement. And that's where an annuity can help out because the verb annuity or annuitization is the bottomless cup of coffee. Whereas the noun annuity is just a cup of coffee. It's just, it's a cup and it's got coffee in it and it's just sitting there. That's all an annuity is. An annuity is a contract or a policy issued by an insurance company. But when you turn it into an income stream, now it's the bottomless cup of coffee. Okay, so that's what we mean by annuity. But here's the problem. There are so many different types of annuities. Here's where, again, I use the analogy, folks, of dogs. And just keep that in mind. There are all different types of dogs. Even a dog lover, (laughs) such as myself, doesn't love them all. There's going to be some that you realize, nah, I don't really care for those. But also, a true dog person knows you don't use a Bichon to retrieve a goose out of the cold Atlantic Ocean in January. I told you before, you use a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. And it wouldn't be a goose, it would be a sea duck. I always make that mistake and say a goose. It would be a sea duck. And when I used to sea duck hunt with my friend Paul back east, he was a cop as well, my Chessie would go into the cold Atlantic Ocean and retrieve a sea duck. And it loved it. But I wouldn't pull out a little Bashan, little those little white pocketbook dogs, and chuck it into the ocean in January and tell it to go retrieve a duck. It's not what it's made for. I don't know what a Bashan is made for, but it's not getting ducks out of the Atlantic Ocean. There's all different types of dogs. I think a Bashan is more of a, a emotional support style dog. It's one you carry in your pocketbook and look cute with and just love because they're going to give you unconditional love. I'm not making fun of them. My mom has, what the hell does she have? I call it an f- expensive mutt because it's a mixture of a few things, but it's one of those designer dogs. A cockapoo. A cockapoo. Mm-hmm. Google that. Is that a real yeah, dog? That's a okay. cocker spaniel poodle mix. Oh, no, it's not what she has then. Um, I don't know what she has, folks. It's, it's something. But she loves it. It's about 20 pounds, and it's cute. It is. I actually like the dog. It's a really cool dog. But it's perfect for what my mom needs at 83. But that dog would not make a good service animal. It wouldn't make uh, the, the kind of dogs that someone in a wheelchair or a blind person needs. Those are special dogs. It wouldn't be a good, you wouldn't take this dog and have it herd cattle like they do out here in Colorado. You see on the ranchers with those, don't tell me, they are the uh, Australian things. Um, all right, you can tell Shepherd. me, what are they? Some people use Australian Shepherds. Shepherds. Australian mm-hmm. Shepherds. And there's another one that looks like an Australian Shepherd, but mm-hmm. it's not. They're Border Collie. Co- Border Collie. Mm-hmm. They're common out here. They really are, folks. And then when I'm hiking, you see a lot of Swiss mountain dogs as pets, but they were a working dog designed to do that. What am I getting at with this? Just like there are tons of different dogs and you put the wrong dog in the wrong location, it doesn't work and it's going to lead you to think, oh, I hate dogs. I went duck hunting and this little white Bashan wouldn't go into the water and retrieve the duck. Dogs are useless. 
No, the dog you had was useless. It's the same thing with annuities. There are so many different types. If you put the wrong annuity in, you're going to end up hating all annuities because you don't understand. It's not the annuity that was wrong. You used the wrong annuity. The annuity was right for the purpose it was made for, but you used the wrong one. However, probably more so in the annuity world than the dog world, there are a lot of really bad annuities. Right. Where most dogs are decent. Right? Where most dogs are decent. <laughs> yeah. But in the annuity world, I'll be the first to admit, it's been bastardized. It's been oversold. The fees are opaque. It's hard to see. That's what I want to kind of teach you guys. Avoid the crappy ones if you can. But learn to respect and understand the good ones. It's all we're asking. Okay, so how can you look at annuities? Well, we're going to kind of try to go over when do the annuity payments begin? Because every annuity, just like every dog, has, unless they're disabled, so you don't have to get too deep into this, but just like every dog is going to have a tail and, and four paws, every annuity is going to have certain aspects to it. When can annuity payments begin? How are the dollars you put into the insurance policy, I hate to use the word invested, uh, I'm going to say allocated. Technically, some people will say invested. I'm hesitant on that because an annuity is not what, Chris? An investment. It's an insurance product. Exactly. And if you use the word investment, you think insurance. So let's just say, when do annuity payments begin? How are premiums allocated? And how is the annuity purchased? And that'll probably be on the next podcast. But how do you buy it? Not necessarily who do you call, but what's happening behind the scenes? I don't, you know who to call. You're going to call an insurance person. I want you guys to learn what's happening behind the scenes. That's what I'm going to teach you, the industry side. I'm going to give you an insight. Here's what's happening behind the scenes. If you know what's happening behind the scenes, you'll have a better understanding on the front end what in the hell it is you're getting yourself into. But today, let's kind of look at when do payments begin and how are premiums allocated slash invested. But that word invested is in quotation marks. The first part, when do annuity payments begin? It's pretty straightforward, is it not, Chris? Is really two, immediately or later. Right, deferred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're called immediate annuities or deferred annuities. And it's a reference to when income payments begin. Some annuities will begin right away. And by that, within 30 days of purchase, the payments will begin. So the verb happens right away. Annuitization. You're going to give up access to your money and instead receive a stream of income for the rest of your life. So some happens immediately. And what do we call those annuities, Chris? Sorry, I 
was looking something up. <laughs> <laughs> he, th- this is not scripted, as everybody knows, if you're a new listener. Uh, and, and Chris just gets thrown these things out of the blue when I need a drink. So he's got to stay on his game here. Okay, what were you saying now, Chris? You were looking something up. Did no, it have to do with annuities? No, no, you were asking a question about when the payments start. There's immediate annuities, right, and deferred. But you were you were asking me a subsequent question to that. Now you can't even remember what it was. It was something to the effect of what do we call those? We call those a single premium immediate annuities. They become the verb right away. Then there are deferred annuities. That simply means the income. If you choose, you're never forced to annuitize until very later in life. We talked about this a few shows ago. Every annuity will have a forced annuitization date where you must annuitize. It's not going to be automatic. They, the insurance company, they will warn you months before it happens that this is coming. And you have time to remove your money from the annuity. So a deferred annuity simply defers the income to a point where you decide to turn it on or you lived long enough and you still have the annuity, the insurance company will annuitize it automatically after giving you ample opportunity to get out of it. Mm -hmm. They are not going to just do it out of the blue. They will give you ample opportunity to extract yourself from the annuity. So those are called deferred annuities. An immediate annuity, boom. Technically speaking, so we're going to get a little deep in the weeds, an immediate annuity will begin no sooner than 30 days and no later than what, Chris? And I know you know this because mm-hmm. we just talked about it this afternoon on our group meeting. Yep, 13 months. 13 months. So an immediate annuity will begin anywhere. Technically, because the first payment is 30 days, they give you 12 months. And because that 30 days is a month, that's where they came up with 13 months. So anywhere from the first 30 days or 13 months, payments will begin. And that's why they call it an immediate annuity. Now, one of the things to look at when you buy an annuity is can you fund them on a regular basis? Many, many, many annuities, not all, but the majority of them do not let you put additional dollars in. Some do, and those that do will often limit how many years you can put additional dollars in. And if you actually read the contract on them, they can refuse payments at any time. In other words, they can shut that feature off. Now, it's not that the insurance company is looking to be jerks. They want your money. It's If they're going to shut it off, It's because the contract no longer reflects the economic situation of the time. Because when you buy an annuity, everything is contractually guaranteed by the insurance company. This is an insurance contract. So if the embedded interest rates, for example, in the policy are much higher 
than what the insurance company can get with current interest rates, they may restrict the ability for you to put more money in. So keep these concepts in mind as you're buying an annuity. Now, if you're looking for an immediate annuity, the kind of annuities that Chris and I favor, we encourage our clients to wait to the very last minute to buy an income annuity and then buy a single premium immediate annuity. But if you're going to buy a deferred annuity, for and there's any number of reasons why you would, some of the things you want to look at are, can you put premiums in on a regular basis or not? What is the guaranteed minimum interest rate in that contract? All deferred annuities will have a guaranteed minimum interest rate. For years, they were about 1%. For about the past 10 years or so. Recently, you can now get them with a guaranteed minimum interest rate. I've seen them from 2.75 to 3%. So you can see, Chris, if you had an annuity, say, with a guaranteed minimum interest rate of 3%, a deferred annuity of 3%, and you're not forced to annuitize, you can take the money out later once the penalty period is over, and we'll talk about that later. If you're an insurance company and you let people put money in with no restrictions, that can burn you, could it not? Totally. Absolutely, because if interest rates drop back down to below 1% and you are contractually obligated to pay 3 you could really take it on the chin. So that's why many deferred annuities restrict your ability to put more money in. The insurance company has to do that to protect themselves. They are not looking to be mean. They're just saying, hey, we can't hedge this risk. The only way we can hedge it is to restrict your ability to put money in if the guaranteed interest rate is significantly higher than what we, the insurance company, can earn on it. If you're a businessman, you, you can't expect a business to stay in business if they're losing money on every purchase. So that's why a lot of deferred annuities, folks, restrict your access. So again, you can have an immediate annuity, a deferred annuity. And on a deferred annuity, you can have a limited premium. Let me start from the beginning. A single premium, a limited premium, or a flexible premium. Single premium, just the way it sounds. You can put money in once and that's it. Lim- I call them limited premiums. Limited premiums mean for a limited number of years, they will let you put more money in. And it could be anywhere from six months, which isn't quite a year, I admit, to usually three years. That's one way the insurance company can hedge their risk, Chris, because they know, okay, we just got to cover this for the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, three years. And then you have what are called flexible premium. Those generally allow unlimited opportunity to put money in. But even those annuity contracts do reserve the right to shut that ability off if need be. I have never seen a flexible premium annuity do that. I've seen them continue to honor them. And there are flexible premium annuities now. There's one in particular I know of with a guaranteed minimum interest rate of 2.85%. 
So if you bought that annuity today with the minimum amount to open it, which I don't know off the top of my head what that is, and just kept it and didn't do anything else with it, you have an account that at any time in the future, you can put money in and earn no less than 2.85%. It's guaranteed right in the contract. Flexible premium annuities are very rare. I only know of two companies right now that are offering them, and only one of the companies is the one I'm thinking of. Because there's a lot of risk on that company. They're guaranteeing 2.85%. And if interest rates ever drop again back below 1, 2.85% looks pretty damn good, does it not, Chris? Totally. That's a way to uh, kind of hedge yourself, let the insurance company take on some of the uh, interest rate risk of the future. Exactly. So you see how there's all these different types of annuities? There's all these different types of dogs. You just have to understand what you're buying. And again, one of the best ways to begin the discussion or, or analysis for all you uh, Vanguard VGs who are going to write Excel spreadsheets, when do payments begin? And under that umbrella, I would put how can premiums you know, be allocated, or not allocated, but how can dollars be put in once flexible, limited, what are the rules? And in the case of a deferred annuity, what's the guaranteed minimum interest rate? Make sure you all are asking that question. Now, if you're buying... I, I, I know I'm talking all over, but MIGAs play a big role in our discussion on annuities recently, multi-year guaranteed annuities. Those are kind of the insurance company's version of a bank CD. If you are buying an annuity with a specific task, I want the guaranteed interest rate. I don't care about the income. I just want this money in another two, three, four years. That's pretty much the window, maybe up to five years. That's, and it's not two. I would get rid of the two and say three, four, five years. We're going to need the money in three, four, or five years, and I just want a fixed guaranteed interest rate. And I want all the dollars when it matures. That's kind of how we use multi-year guaranteed annuities. We time the maturity of the annuity to when the client is going to need the dollars. We don't use MIGAs as a long-term strategy. Okay, with that in mind, you may not necessarily care what the guaranteed minimum interest rate is of that policy is because when it matures that's when you're taking the money out but if you are buying a true deferred annuity where you just want some money in there and you might continue to keep it in for four years eight years 12 years knowing what the guaranteed minimum interest rate is very important because that's the lowest interest the insurance company will credit you in any given year. And right now, again, you can probably get between two and a quarter and three percent. If it's less than that, you might want to, and that's important to you, you might want to look at a different annuity. But if you're buying a MIGA and you're like, oh God, this MIGA is for three years, it's paying 5.2%. I'm making that up. It's paying 5.2% for three years. I need this money in three years. But it has a guaranteed minimum interest rate after three years of 
1% doesn't mean you don't move forward with it if you're certain you're going to take that money out in three years. Does that kind of make sense where I'm going with the guaranteed minimum interest rate, Chris? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that that exists. The guaranteed rate isn't really touted or described too much by those selling annuities because it's not generally super impressive. But it's something you need to know because you need this. Essentially, they're describing to you kind of a a, a minimum case uh, that, that you might be experiencing in the annuity, uh, even though they might illustrate for you more favorable rates if things turn out better than the guarantee. But knowing what that guarantee is, is important. Right. The company offering that flexible premium immediate annuity, I'm not going to name it. Their guaranteed minimum interest rate just three, four, five, six years ago was 1%. And that was still good when interest rates were below 1%. Today, it's 2.85. Much better guaranteed minimum interest rate. And that's about the only time I pay attention to the guaranteed minimum interest rate is when buying that flexible premium median annuity because it's being earmarked as an account that could be used in the future if interest rates drop again. I know I'm never going to get less than 2.85%. I'm going to put the minimum amount in that just to keep the damn thing open, let it sit there. I don't care whether that's $500, 1000 I don't know what the minimum is. But just get it open, let it sit there, and if I need it in the future, I know I'm never going to get less than 2.85%. That's kind of how we look at flexible premium annuities. They are very rare, though, because of that risk the insurance company is taking on. They have to honor 2.85%. And even though they could theoretically turn off a true flexible premium annuity, I've never seen one, it doesn't say it's never going to happen, actually been shut off. The limited, where they say, hey, we're going to let you put money in up to three years. Yes, I have seen that shut off. And on annuities with living benefits that were too good to be true, I saw those get shut off. And we'll share more later what I mean by living benefits. Okay, so now you get it. Immediate annuities, deferred annuities. What happens to the premiums? There's really two flavors of annuities. Not only immediate or deferred, it's what happens to your principal. Excuse me. Yeah, principal. The dollars you put in. That also divides annuities. Now, I'm going to throw one at Chris. I have no idea if he's going to get this or not. Hmm. He doesn't do annuities in the office, folks. So if he doesn't get this... Don't hold it against him. It's like he throws a security, social security question at me. I'm probably going to muff it. I'll bunt it and try to, try to get to first base. What are the two ways your premium that you put into the annuity, Chris, can be allocated? Because those are the two ways that annuities can further be divided. You can divide them between immediate and <laughs> deferred and one other way now. You can take those proceeds into the annuity into a guaranteed account or into a variable account, maybe, or an indexed account. Is that where you're headed? Pretty good. Yes, very good. Mm -hmm. And what Chris is talking about is a fixed annuity or a variable annuity. That's another way to uh, divide annuities. So if you have the word annuity above your head, Draw, you know, two arrows, one that kind of goes to the left and one that kind of goes to the right, and you'll put um, immediate and deferred. 
And then under that, put now two arrows, one that goes to the left and one that goes to the right under immediate and the same thing under deferred. And you can put fixed and variable, fixed and variable. You can have an immediate annuity that's a variable immediate annuity. They are very rare. I'm not even going to get into them because we don't use them for a variety of reasons. Most, in fact, all of the um, single premium immediate annuities we would recommend would be fixed, but they do have variable. It's the other ones, Chris, that get all the attention. The Mr. I hate annuities and so should you. Ken Fisher's company. They're talking about deferred variable annuities. That's for the majority uh, of his rant. It's about those annuities. Although I did recently um, sign up to get his I Hate Annuities and So Should You, Nine Things You Should Know Before Buying an Annuity. And I think we'll do a show on that, not now. We're going to wrap up this annuity show next week, but maybe later on in the year. Um, Out of what he wrote, I would say maybe 10, 20% of it, in my opinion, is honest. The other 80, 90% is not quite fully disclosed or, or not quite not quite explained the right way. There's way too much information he's trying to convey and way too short of a pamphlet that had one purpose and one purpose only. Get you to hate your annuity and call the number at the back of the, the thing to talk to their quote-unquote annuity expert who is going to give you an impartial opinion of your annuity. And I can guarantee you most of the opinions most likely would be to move that annuity to them and let them manage the money. So some of the what they were saying was not the full story. And I kept, every time I read it, I would say, yeah, but, yeah, but. They weren't putting the butts in, Chris. And you know us, <laughs> we like big butts. And they weren't doing any of that in that. Okay, back to what I'm getting at. Under the deferred side, you're going to have to the left fixed, to the right variable. And what that means is what happens to your premiums. In the immediate annuity, we know what happens. You lose access to it and you're going to get a stream of income for the rest of your life. But on the deferred side, a fixed annuity on the deferred side will put your premiums into, as Chris said, a guaranteed account. It's called the declared rate. It's how much the insurance company will declare that they will pay you in a year. Every annuity has a declared rate. Every deferred annuity may also have a declared rate for a certain period of time, like a MIGA. You can have it for three years, four years, five years, six years. And after that, they say, we don't know what it's going to be. But they will declare the interest rate every anniversary. Not every January. If you open it on June 23rd, which is today's date. If you fund it on June 23rd, next year on June 23rd, they're going to do what, Chris? They reset the declared rate. Exactly. So on a deferred fixed annuity, your interest, what you are going to earn is known. 
And it's known on every anniversary, not every January 1st, every anniversary that you opened your annuity. So if you and your buddy opened one together, but his or hers opened 30 days before yours or 18 days after yours, your new renewal interest rate could be different. They change that rapidly. But on your anniversary, they will reset the interest that they will give you. Never less than that guaranteed minimum interest rate. It could be more and most likely would be more. But that's how a deferred fixed annuity works. The fixed references the amount of interest you are able to earn. In a deferred variable annuity, your premiums are invested. So even though I use the word invested in quotation marks, now you can see why I don't like using that word. I'm saying allocated. If you allocate money to the variable sleeve in your annuity, those variable dollars will be invested. And they have what are called sub-accounts. They may look like a mutual fund. They may talk like a mutual fund. They may walk like a mutual fund. But they're not mutual funds. They will often have the same names as their mutual fund counterparts. But they're technically called sub-accounts. Because they will often have different fee structures than their mutual fund brethren. Now, you are starting to slowly see ETFs that will be offered inside variable annuities. I believe the SEC and or FINRA has recently loosened the rules to allow ETFs to be more prevalent inside variable annuities. So you might start to see some lower cost ETFs. But don't bank on it. Because here's where Ken Fisher does get it right. The fees of annuities, he says, are too high. But again, he's lumping them all together. The fees of variable annuities can be very high because the sub-accounts, which may look like a mutual fund, talk like a mutual fund, walk like a mutual fund, but they're not mutual funds, will often have significantly higher fees than their mutual fund brethren. And there's a reason why. Those higher fees go to compensate the insurance companies. When you buy a variable annuity, except for Vanguard, who refuses to share any type of revenue on a fee they collect. That's why you don't often see Vanguard options inside a variable annuity. Insurance companies, excuse me, investment companies pay insurance companies to have their products in their annuities. It's called revenue sharing. It's all disclosed to you in eight-point font (laughs) and probably a 800 page, I'm being a little facetious there, but anywhere from a 70 to a 300 page disclosure prospectus when you buy a variable annuity that they're sharing revenue. Insurance companies aren't out there scouring the globe to find the best investments possible for their variable annuities. 
they're striking deals with investment companies that will pay them the most revenue to list their sub-account inside their variable annuity. That's the cynic in me talking, but I believe that passionately, and it bears out when you see how these things and the fees of these things and how they're priced. So when you start to look at a variable annuity, you have to pay close attention to the fees of the sub-accounts. But the whole idea of a deferred annuity is to put money in and let it grow in a hope that in the future you can then tell the insurance company, take these dollars and give me a guaranteed lifetime stream of income with them. One of the things Chris and I favor is to not use that whole annuity wrapper if you can avoid it. And instead, just invest the dollars on your own. All you VGs will love that. And just in the future, be receptive to buying a single premium immediate annuity. Or let the older you decide. The 60-year-old, you might hate it. The 72-year-old, you might love it. Let them decide. So that is a deferred annuity. Deferred annuities intend to grow your premiums. They do it on a fixed or a variable platform. On the variable platform, they could go up, they could go down. On a fixed platform, you will never lose. The money gets put in and you're going to be offered a guaranteed fixed interest rate that generally resets annually. Case of Amiga, it will be fixed for a certain period of time. Then if you decide to keep that Amiga, it would reset. Anything else I need to dive into or do you think? I'm trying to be eighth grade level here. Do you think I covered it? I think so. It's hard to, it's, it is a balancing act because you need to be detailed enough to give people the you know, true story or true sense of, of what's going on without kind of getting overwhelming. So, but I, I think so far that's touched on most of what I would want to include. Okay. So what should we get into? I don't know how deep I want to go into this. How much time do we have left? We have probably 15, 20 minutes. Okay. When would you purchase a deferred annuity? That we are asked often. That's a tough one. I like that flexible premium deferred annuity that I described to you, especially now that the guaranteed minimum interest rate is 2.85%. Do I want to fund it at 2.85%? No. But I wouldn't mind having one with a guaranteed locked in at 2.85. And if they raise it in a couple of years and it's now three and a half, you replace it with the new one with a guaranteed three and a half. That's a deferred annuity. You're deferring. You don't want the income to begin. And it's an annuity that I'm not earmarking in my head as one that you would use to generate income. It's one that you would use to get a guaranteed minimum interest rate with the ability to put more money in. 
So that's one reason you would use a deferred annuity. Because annuities are considered retirement accounts, they do get special treatment by the government. And they say, if you have a deferred annuity, we're not going to tax it until you take money out. We've shared that with you. And when you take it out, it's considered LIFO. What does that mean? Last in, first out. Meaning, so the last, last yep. money that goes in these is not your money. It's the money that the insurance company has shared with you because of their crediting to that account. And when you turn around and take money out, that money is going to come out first. When that's gone, then they start to give you your own money back. Right. So that tax treatment can be beneficial at certain times. Sometimes we have had people who are trying to get usually ACA premium tax credits or something like that. And for some reason, they want to lower their income. They could put the money in a deferred annuity so any earnings or interest or dividends aren't taxed to them right away. And then when whatever period of time that they're trying to manipulate their income has passed they can start taking money out of that annuity again, recognizing the interest comes out first, so it may take them several years to, from a tax perspective, extract themselves out of that annuity. But it is a nice way to keep income low for a period of time if that's important. And we've had people that have had substantial amounts of money in cash or bank-like accounts and the interest they were earning on it was pushing them either into an IRMA bracket or ruining their chance to get ACA. We could park it in a deferred annuity. And when the time has passed where they're not trying to get the ACA or the IRMA or whatever it is they were looking to avoid, they can start selectively getting back out of them. But I'm not a huge fan of deferred annuities outside of those two reasons. And maybe people can find a few others. Because there's one thing to keep in mind with a deferred annuity. If it's inside an IRA, it's going to have the tax rules of an IRA. And we'll get into that after. But if it's in a brokerage account, if it's just a regular old non-qualified account, especially if it's a variable annuity where your earnings can go up or down. You don't get capital gains treatment like you would in a true investment. There's no step up in basis in any money in an annuity because it's considered income because an annuity is considered a retirement vehicle. And if the government's not going to tax it in the year it's earned, they're going to call that income with respect to a decedent, I-R-D. Meaning, they know you're going to die someday, hence the word decedent, but it begins with the word income. The government is saying, we're going to let you put money in this, but we're going to consider the growth income. And we also know you're going to die someday. 
So we're going to call it income with respect to a decedent. And the tax code says IRD never receives a step-up in basis. So think of this, folks. You buy a deferred variable annuity, not inside an IRA, and there can be reasons why you might want to own one inside an IRA. I'll concede that. Topic for next week, just talking brokerage accounts now. If you buy a deferred variable annuity and you're trying to get growth, but you're not buying it for any income reason, you are just trying to get tax-deferred growth, which is what the industry tells you you should do. And you'll see a lot of agents who push annuities telling you, oh my God, you've got $500,000 in a brokerage account. You should put that in this fancy-dancy annuity I have. It grows tax-free. Oh, that sounds great, doesn't it, folks? It grows tax-free. But when you take the money out, you can't get your basis like you can in a brokerage account. A brokerage account, you can just identify the shares that mark your basis and just sell those and get money out. I don't want to say tax-free because it's already been taxed, but it's just you can selectively remove your basis and pay no taxes on it. You could selectively sell capital gain and maybe pay no taxes on it if you limit your income in that year into the 15%, well, it's now 12%, but going back up to 15% bracket or lower, you pay zero cap gains taxes up to a certain amount. There's many ways to, that's why we call them maybe taxable accounts, folks. They may be taxable. I hate that the industry calls them taxable accounts. They're not a taxable account. It's a maybe taxable account. The insurance industry likes you to think that tax-deferred growth is a reason to buy a deferred annuity. I don't, unless you're trying to temporarily, for a certain period of time, manipulate your income by not having any to qualify for ACA or IRMA or Roth conversions or whatever. And as soon as that period passes, I tell people, get your money out of that annuity. It's going to be taxed as income, not capital gain. It will not receive a step up in basis. And you cannot deduct losses. So we can't do any tax loss selling. Brokerage accounts sometimes get a bad rap by the insurance industry in an effort to get you to buy annuities. If you are buying an annuity solely for tax purposes, it should be for a limited period. If it's long term, I think you're giving an awful lot up. The ability to take selective tax loss selling every year. The ability to get a step up in basis. And the ability to pay capital gains taxes, not income taxes. Capital gains taxes, at least right now, there's some politicians who want to change it, are still taxed at lower rates than income because the government acknowledges when you invest and you're looking for capital appreciation, you might suffer a loss. But they want to reward people who are willing to invest because investment keeps the economy going. 
So understanding the tax implications of a deferred annuity is important. Just be careful if you're buying a deferred annuity not inside an IRA. And also question anyone, especially now we're going to look at the investment advisors now, especially those who cannot sell annuities or have chosen not to sell annuities, but they want to be paid by an AUM, asset under management. They want to be paid by managing your money. They may tell you, you should never buy an annuity inside an IRA. I'm sure you've heard that before, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, lots actually, as if it, it's a rule that never should be broken. They always tell you that. Never buy an annuity inside an IRA. That's BS. You need to understand the dog you're using. And I don't mean dog is in negative sense. I'm going back to my eighth grade analogy. You don't use a Bashan to retrieve a duck out of the Atlantic. You don't bring a Chesapeake Bay retriever on a plane inside a pocketbook. It's not going to work. You could very well need and or want to put annuities inside an IRA. And we're going to begin there next week. So write that down, Chris, because yours truly will forget. Don't listen to people who tell you you need to buy this annuity outside of an IRA because it's tax deferred. That's the only reason that might be true if it's for a limited period and you're trying to achieve something. But long term... You give up way, way too much. No step up in basis, no capital losses, taxed as income, income comes out first, too many negatives. Conversely, anyone who tells you don't buy a deferred income inside an annuity, they may have an ulterior, is that right, ulterior, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But you said a deferred income inside of an annuity. Oh. You meant deferred annuity inside of an IRA. Thank you. Yes. I was testing Chris there, folks, and see... You gave me an opening to fix it. He nailed it. (laughs) Question anyone telling you not to buy an income or any annuity inside an IRA. There can very well be many good reasons why you would want to buy an annuity inside an IRA. However, well, I'll get into that next week. We're going to begin next week with when would you consider using an annuity inside an IRA. I can give you a couple of hints. Our bottomless cup of coffee to cover your minimum dignity floor. How many people, Chris, anecdotal, of our, I don't want to say necessarily just our clients, but people who come into contact with us with an effort to either work with us or learn more about us when we were accepting clients. We're not accepting retirement planning clients right now. Everybody knows that. How many have more than 50% of their money in tax-deferred accounts? Hmm. 85%. Oh, I'd say higher than that. We've never measured. I'm saying more than 50, because then I'm going to say more than 70, more than 80, more than 90. The percentage will start to drop. But I would say 90% of people who come to us have more than half their net worth of liquid retirement assets inside IRA or 
IRA-style accounts like 401ks, TSPs, 457s. But we have regularly seen people with 80, 85, 90% of their money in these types of accounts. And many of you listening, you know, you have the majority of your money inside always taxable IRAs. To say to you, you should never buy an annuity inside an IRA is saying, wow, you've got all your money inside guaranteed, uh, excuse me, uh, tax qualified retirement accounts. You can't have lifetime secure income. Makes no sense. Nope, you can't have it. It's asinine, folks. There are reasons to put annuities inside IRAs, but there's many reasons not to put annuities inside IRAs. And we'll begin our discussion next week on that. I'm just trying to give you guys an understanding of the basics of annuities. So we'll pick up there. We'll talk a little bit more about deferred variable annuities because those are the annuities. All you Vanguard GEVEs, you Vanguardian engineers, you VGs that I affectionately call you, whether you have your money at Vanguard or not, you're still VGs. All you engineer types, you do-it-yourself investors, 99% of the people listening to this podcast, you fall into that category. We get that. You have been taught to hate annuities because they're talking about these high-cost, broker-sold, very opaque, difficult-to-understand, contractual nightmare variable annuities. And we understand that. We're trying to help you guys learn about them. But there are other dogs in the pack that would be very good and can be a good reason to put them inside an IRA. And we'll begin there. Okay. Sounds good. I have made a note to start next time with buying an annuity inside an IRA. Buying deferred annuity. I think everybody knows the bottomless cup of coffee immediate annuity is appropriate inside an IRA. Uh, and, And I would defend that. If anybody wants to come on and argue that point with me, I'd love to take it. I feel an immediate annuity, immediate income annuity, could be an appropriate use of IRA assets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm a little more hesitant on the other types of annuities inside IRAs, but I would concede there can be appropriate places for those as well. So this notion that you never use an IRA to buy an annuity is often espoused by AUM people who cannot or will not use annuities. So they just come out like Ken Fisher. I hate annuities and so should you. And, and in that, oh, don't get me going on that, but in that little pamphlet, Chris, they push how they can help you with their retirement, your retirement. And I'm thinking, my God, you're going to help someone with their retirement and you refuse? To talk about a lifetime stream of guaranteed income, that to me is just asinine. Yeah, different strokes for different folks, I guess. (laughs) It is, but you know the game. The game is to gather assets and charge an AUM fee. So just simply saying to people, don't ever use an IRA to buy an annuity conveniently puts more money under their management. And that, to me, is conflicted advice. Yep. Anyways, the final thing as we wrap up, because we always have to say this, and I do think our uh, disclosure covers it. When we're talking annuities, 
Annuities are based on the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Keep that in mind. That an insurance, an annuity is an insurance product. So any promises offered by an annuity, whether it's a lifetime stream of income or a guaranteed minimum interest rate or X number of years on a multi-year guaranteed annuity, all of those promises are based on the claims paying ability of the insurance company. Keep that in mind. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, if you're not particularly interested in annuities, I know June it's a little rough, but we're almost <laughs> almost at the end of June. Uh, but hopefully you're taking little nuggets here and there. More more information is better than less when you're making decisions about your financial situation, and in particular retirement, which is what we kind of focus on. But uh, if you do have any questions related to what we've been talking about with annuities, that's uh, now's the time to send it in, uh, get them kind of squeezed in on the Q&A and EDU shows for June during Annuity Awareness Month. Uh, if you want to send in your own questions, comments, uh, obscene remarks, uh, just send them directly to Jim at his email, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And make sure you put in the uh, subject line, it's a question or comment for the podcast, just so it makes it easier for him to pick those out. So thanks again, Jim. Um, and we'll be back with everybody once again next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier and Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.